We're in Matthew chapter 26. We'll be finishing this chapter today. Just a heads up that we intentionally skipped a, uh, a passage a couple Sundays ago so we could come back to it today since we'll be looking at Peter's great fall. The title of the sermon is Falling into Sin One Step at a Time. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we just humble ourselves under your mighty hand, under your good loving hand, under your word this morning. And we ask God that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, what the Spirit is saying to us as your sons and daughters. And most importantly, we ask Holy Spirit that you'd move in such a way and speak in such a way that we respond to your word, we respond to your truth, we respond to your love. As the word of God says it, if we know the truth and we respond to the truth, that we will be set free. God, give me grace now to communicate your word. Help me now, send the helper to help me communicate your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, before we get into our text this morning, as we have been in Matthew 26, the Holy Spirit has shown me that there is a progression of warnings among the people surrounding Jesus leading up to Peter's great fall. I would say there has been a prophetic progression or theme of warnings in four of the last five sermons in Matthew 26, which I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to our church for such a time as this. I believe God is warning us, his sons and daughters, because he loves us, just as a loving parent want, warns a son or daughter who is in danger. As we have been talking about the last couple of weeks, it seems that many in our church are on the brink of breakthrough. God wants to tear the walls down. He wants to break open the dams so the waters of living water can freely flow in our lives and through our lives. And any time there is a pouring out of God's Spirit in this way, there is always a call to deeper holiness, a deeper level of consecrating ourselves unto God. And these warnings we have seen in the last six weeks of sermons are for the purpose of bringing us closer to the Father, a deeper intimacy with Jesus. Again, he is warning us for the purpose of intimacy. And it's not just for his glory, it's for our good and it's for our joy. Don't miss what the Spirit is saying to you right now. Today, respond to His love. Respond to this loving warning from our loving Father. God's prophetic voice is going out to His people, you and me, His sons and daughters. Are you hearing the voice of God? Are you heeding to His voice? Are you responding to his love? So in light of these warnings, it's really important as we move into our text today 
that we should be asking ourselves these questions as it relates to this prophetic progression of falling away that's been in Matthew 26 and now leading up to Peter's great fall. Asking ourselves, how did he get there? And where are we in relation to that? And what might be some warnings for us this morning? So we're going to read Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35, and then we will skip to the end of the chapter, and we're going to look at verses 69 through 75. So Matthew 26, starting in verse 31, this is right after the Last Supper, it says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So moving forward now to verse 69, you may remember Jesus was just betrayed and he was just arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was brought before the religious leaders and chief priests. He was spit on, beaten, and struck. Verse 69 says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he, not, he denied it before them all. I don't know what you are talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. After a li he denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Maybe you've heard or you've said the phrase, I fell into sin. In reality, there is no such thing. A person never falls into sin but rather walks into sin one step at a time. We'll see in this passage six steps Peter took that led to his sin and his sorrow, his brokenness. Also, we must take into account that there is a progression to sin and sorrow. It may not look like these six steps, but it's important for us to heed to and take into account that there's always a progression to sin and sorrow. 
So for the sake of context this morning, after the Last Supper, Jesus had revealed that one of his disciples would betray him, and of course, that was Judas. You could only imagine how offsetting that was for the disciples that night, that one amongst their number was actually a traitor. At the end of the meal, Jesus says, By the way, all of you are going to fall away on account of me. In a sense, Jesus is saying, because of what I'm doing and who I am and what my mission is all about and the way the culture will interact and respond to me right now, all of you are going to bail out on me. It's not just Judas. All of you, to some degree, are going to fall away from me. Then I want you to notice now, Peter resp- and how Peter responds to these things, that we can only characterize as his missteps, as some bad choices, or perhaps some character issues that take Peter to this place of heartbrokenness in having denied Christ. Step one, pride. The first step we see in Peter's fall in his denial was his pride. Jesus had just warned them that all of you will fall away from me. And Peter responds by saying, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never, I will never disown you. Proud, self-confident Peter, convinced of the strength of his love for Jesus, presumptuously proclaimed himself to be the truest of the true. And what we see here is Peter's pride is actually connected to his self-reliance trusting in his own strength. Pride is this ungodly self-reliance, this self-confidence. It's self-reliance, as Peter says to Jesus, in essence, everybody else will fall away, but not me. I'm willing to die for you. It's self-reliance that draws us away from God-dependent living, from a trusting, dependent kind of living, which is the best kind of living. True Christian living is God-dependent living. When we make ourselves or humble ourselves before God and we declare our dependence upon Him, then and only then will we experience the power of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. It's only then when we sense God just carrying us and helping us in the Holy Spirit is when we declare our dependency upon God, God God-dependent living. And yet, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Peter did not take seriously the voice of the living God. Like many believers since, 
he proudly refused to submit himself to God's word and God's spirit. Pride led Peter to this next step in his fall. Step two, prayerlessness. The second step we see in Peter's fall in his denial was his prayerlessness. We see in verses 40 and 41, when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying, it says, then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked? Peter, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now this is the way it always goes when we have this ungodly self-reliance, this puffed up pride that doesn't place ourselves under God's word and heed the warnings God gives us. Self-reliance, self-confidence always leads to prayerlessness. This is the opposite of God-dependence, which leads to prayerfulness. God, I need you. God, help me. God, strengthen me. God, carry me. God, keep me from temptation. God, keep me from evil. And prayerlessness is the evidence of pride. One of the ways we know if we have some sort of ungodly self-reliance happening is through our lack of prayer. We need to think about this and ask ourselves, is that happening in my own life? Is there a lack of dependency upon God daily in my life? If this is true for us, what we are essentially saying is, God, I got this. I got this, God. Whether we are aware of it or not, that's essentially what we're saying. You may remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus took Peter and the boys and he left them to watch and pray. And he warned them that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But because Peter didn't take seriously the Lord's warnings about his deficiencies and his frailties, Peter did not take seriously the admonition to be prepared and strengthened. Peter, watch and pray. Like his boasting and his insubordination, Peter's prayerlessness was a manifestation of his self-confidence, which is pride. So because of Peter's pride, he didn't think he needed to pray. And then because of his prayerlessness, this leads to the next step in his fall. Step three, acting in the flesh. So the third step we see in Peter's fall, in Peter's denial, was his acting in the flesh. Look what happens next. Verses 50 and 51 Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. John 18.10 tells 
us that this companion was Peter. Peter was the one who drew his sword and cut off his ear. Peter at this moment is acting in the flesh, sensing no need to ask for Jesus' advice or for his help. Peter was taking things into his own hands. He is acting and living and thinking in his own resource, his own independent, self-generated impulsiveness. Impulsiveness. That is a good sign when we're in the flesh. When we are being impulsive about something or acting impulsive, that is a good sign that we are in the flesh at that moment. Basically, all he knows how to do at this moment is just wrangle this thing. Just cowboy up and wrangle this thing and just get her done. As soon as the officers laid hands on Jesus, Peter, again, he reached for his sword, he drew it out, and he struck the servant of the high priest, and he cut off his ear. One thing is certain. Peter is a better fisherman than a swordsman. That is one thing for certain. He manages only to lop off the ear of the high priest's servant. That was the best he could do. And thank God for that servant that was Peter, that he only lost his ear because it could have been worse. That's not what God had in this moment. Jesus, was, Jesus would actually say to Peter, don't you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? In essence, Jesus is saying, honestly, Pete, I don't need your sword. Stick to fishing. Stick to fishing, Pete. And yet Peter must have actually forgotten, or actually he may have refused to believe, that Jesus had repeatedly taught the disciples that it was actually the Father's plan. It was the Father's plan for him to suffer, die, and then be raised to new life. Peter's acting in the flesh, taking things into his own hands and working from his own incorrect perspective and weaknesses and resources was at best Pete trying to achieve God's purposes apart from God. And at worst, it was ignoring God's purpose and preferring his own. This was the wrong perspective on the situation and the wrong resource. It fell short of God's purposes. Peter was working with the wrong sword here. There's a sword, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any, any two-edged sword. That's what Paul is saying is the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6. Peter was working with the wrong sword from the wrong place in his own resources with a skewed perspective. And quite honestly, Peter made a big mess with a bloody ear on the ground. How often that's the case in our lives working with the wrong sword, working with the wrong sword and creating messes around us. And yet I was reminded that James says, the book of James, 
that our tongue can be like a sword at times. That our tongue can be like a sword and it makes great boast. And our tongue can lie. And our tongue can slander. And our tongue can gossip. And our tongue can be critical of people. And our tongue can say uh, just cruel things to people. And when that happens, when the tongue is not submitted and grounded in the Holy Spirit, that's often when we create a lot of messes. Messes in our marriages. Messes with our kids. Messes in our community. Messes in the church. The tongue can be like a sword at times. And may it not be. May the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit baptize our hearts that out of the overflow of our mouth it speaks love and the promises of God and the goodness of God and our mouth speak life to people and life to our kids and give blessings to our spouses. And yet we are told in 2 Corinthians that the weapons of our, of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful. And then in Zechariah we are exhorted, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Let that be a promise to us. It's by God's Spirit, says the Lord, as He works in and through our lives. David Guzik said, When Peter moved in the power of the world, his flesh, he only cut off ears. But when he was filled with the Spirit, using the Word of God, Peter pierced hearts for God's and glory. And many of us know in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and he was baptized afresh in the Holy Spirit, that Peter became bold and courageous for his God. That Peter became one of the great leaders of the early church after the Holy Spirit came. And he was used in a powerful way. But at this time, it wasn't so for Peter. Ignoring Christ's words to him, being full of himself, failing to pray, and acting in his own wisdom and resources, the flesh, Peter finds himself taking the next step in his fall. Step four, following Jesus at a distance. So the fourth step we see in Peter's fall in his denial was his following Jesus at a distance. Verse 58 says, But Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Right up to the courtyard of the high priest, he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now this is a radical switch. Because back in Mark chapter 3, Jesus called Peter along with the others. And it says back in verse 13, Jesus chose those he himself wanted so that they might be with him. Jesus had called them to relationship. Jesus had called them to withness. Christ's call on us is always unto relationship. We, through the work of the cross, are restored into relationship with the living God. And that relationship is meant to be one of closeness, of closeness. It is meant to be one of intimacy. That's what we have been restored to. 
It's not just that our sins have been forgiven. Our sins are forgiven so that we might engage in a relationship with a holy God, a loving relationship with God. That's why our sins have been forgiven, so we could enter into relationship with a holy, loving God, as the psalmist said, in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That is the invitation we have been given. That is what Jesus came to accomplish in our lives through the forgiveness of sins. And that is what Peter had been restored to. That's what Peter had known. Peter had walked with Jesus and spent time with Jesus. Peter, he was always with Jesus. And now there's this very real distance between Peter and Jesus. Peter followed Jesus at a distance. There is this drifting happening now. There's this falling away. There is this slide down the slope. There is now this distance. Intimacy has been forsaken. Peter is not as tight as he once was with Jesus. Now I want us to think about this for our own lives. Now there's this distance happening. Peter is drifting. And I have known so many people, even close friends, who have slowly but surely drifted away because they began to follow Jesus at a distance. At one time, they had a strong desire and a strong passion to know the Lord and to walk with Jesus, but something happened, a switch. That is why it says in Hebrews 2, verse 1, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. As we sail along spiritually, the danger is not that a torpedo is actually going to sink us, but that we will slowly drift away. And drifting happens when we fail to give heed to the things which we have heard. In other words, we drift when we actually fail to read and heed to the compass of God's word. When we fail to allow God's word to be the plumb line by which we live our lives. And in construction, a construction worker is going to use a plumb line. The plumb line is to see if, if something is straight, if something is true. And that's what the plumb line of God's word is for. The plumb line of God's word is for us to know if our living, in a sense, is straight and true. And the concern I have as a pastor, the concern I even have for myself, is that the plumb line at times is not, the plumb line of God's word at times is not what we're like gauging ourselves, gauging the way we're living, gauging in our decision-making, gauging in how we're thinking, gauging in what we're speaking and what we're saying. That the plumb line of God's word is no longer the gauge. And what really concerns me and what I see in my own life at times and in the church is culture is now becoming the plumb line. 
Culture is now becoming the plumb line in which we live our lives, in which we make decisions, in how we think now, and what we do, and what we say, and how we speak. Culture is deceptively dictating that. And yet, I want to ask ourselves, was there a time in your life when you enjoyed the pure milk of God's Word? When you hungered for the meat of God's Word? When you needed to get your bearings right by reading God's Word? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God that is living and active. It's the Word of God that pierces our hearts and transforms our thinking and transforms our lives. But eventually, you began following Jesus at a distance, and the Word of God was no longer important. Church, we need to come back to the Word of God. We need to be reading the Word of God. We need to be meditating on the Word of God. We need to be receiving the Word of God and living according to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when I'm not, what begins to happen to me, I find myself drifting slowly and gradually until suddenly I wonder, where am I? How in the world did I get here? My faith didn't just sink. I just started drifting away. We can end up shipwrecking our faith and our lives when we don't take heed. Listen, brothers and sisters, please, please Take heed and understand, and I'm speaking to myself, that we can end up shipwrecking our faith in our lives when we don't take heed to the Word of God. You and I need to set our anchor deeply in the things which we have heard, the things we have read, the things we have meditated on, the truths, doctrines, and principles of Scripture. Otherwise, we too, like Peter, will be vulnerable to drifting away and following Jesus at a distance. This is not an alien concept in the scriptures. They, don't, they say, don't drift. Christ is the anchor of your soul. And it says, hold fast to the end, the scriptures tell us. And it would be important for us at this time to check ourselves and ask, is there a distance between you and Jesus that might be spoken of in terms of relational intimacy? Like your devotional life with him. Or it might be spoken of in terms of obedience. Is there a distance now in either of those places that there wasn't once? then you, like Peter, are on the slippery slope. You, like Peter, may find yourself in the fall, in the drift. So we must check ourselves at this point. Right now, church, right now, brothers and sisters, let's check ourselves at this point and reflect and ask ourselves honestly, right now, am I drifting? 
Am I drifting? Ask the Holy Spirit under your breath. Show me if I'm drifting right now. If so, the reason could be due to pride or a lack of prayer or being in the flesh or not reading and heeding to the Word of God due to following Jesus at a distance. If that's you today, today is the day. Today is the day to turn your boat around, so to speak, and head back to port and stop drifting and let Christ be your anchor. Let Christ be the anchor, for he is the anchor of our soul. Let Christ be the anchor. Because Peter now is in a frightening place, taking his fifth step towards heartbreak. Step five, seeking warmth at the enemy's fire. So the fifth step we see in Peter's fall, in his denial, was his warming himself at the enemy's fire. And we pick it up in Luke because Luke adds a detail that Matthew didn't give us. And it says, And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Look at this fall. The very ones who had had arrested Jesus, accused Jesus, the very ones who had mocked Jesus, scourged Jesus, spit upon Jesus, nailed him to the cross and shouted, Crucify him! Peter is now sitting with them, warming himself at the fire, at their fire. Now let's think metaphorically here for a bit. Let's see them as the enemy. We have an enemy, Satan. Let's see them as a metaphoric picture of the enemy of Christ. When our relational connection with Jesus and our obedience to Jesus is distant, then we find ourselves attracted to, wanting to connect ourselves with wrong people, wrong places, and wrong things. We end up in wrong spaces looking for wrong opportunities. And we find ourselves wanting to seek warmth from strange fires. So I want us to think about What might be sort of the proverbial enemy's fires in our lives or within the culture that we live in? I think the reason why we get attracted to strange fire, and I think the reason why Peter was willing to make himself comfortable with the opposition here with the enemy and seeking the warmth of their fire, was because he is lacking what Christ is always promising what Christ is always calling us into, and that is the peace and joy and satisfaction that comes from a relationship with God. Can I get a testimony? Can I get an amen? Because we experience the peace, the joy, the satisfaction when we come into a relationship with the living God. Many of us have known, and we have experienced this, when we choose to go our own way, when we choose to go away from Christ, 
then we forfeit the peace of God in our lives. And we miss that joy in the Holy Spirit and that abiding satisfaction that comes from an intimate relationship with God. And when we, through distancing distancing ourselves from Christ, from disobedience or from a lack of devotion or whatever that might be, when we begin to distance ourselves and we experience a void in that peace and that joy and that satisfaction, then strange fires become attractive to us. Trying, we start to try to draw warmth and satisfaction and comfort from wrong places. This might speak to some of our addictions. This might speak to our secret habits. This might speak to what we do on our computers or smartphones. This might speak to our spending habits. This might speak to our broken relationships, our broken marriages, strange fires or false fires. The enemy will always make sure to present us with fires that seem as though they are going to bring warmth and joy and peace and satisfaction because the enemy is a liar. He's been a liar from the start. And he's lying to us by telling us, hey, forget Christ. You can get warmth from this thing or by looking at that thing or pursuing this. That is not the truth. That is not the truth because they never deliver. Only Jesus delivers. Only Jesus brings true satisfaction. Only Jesus brings true comfort. Only Jesus brings true peace. Amen? Peter was never more cold than sitting by the enemy's fire. And now Peter's fall is almost complete. And what we see at the cusp of his heartbreak is his final step. Step six, denials and disassociations. So the sixth step and final step we see in Peter's fall in his denial was his denials and disassociations. We read again at the close of, the ch- of this chapter. It says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also are with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And so at this point, Peter actually hit rock bottom, still refusing either to claim or to rely on Jesus. He dug himself still deeper into the denial as he began to curse and swear, I don't know the man. 
call down curses and swore to them means in that culture, not that he used foul language or he said, I promise. It means he said something akin to, in that culture, may God kill me and damn me if I am lying. I don't know Jesus. Not hours before, Peter said, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never fall away. I am willing to die with you. And now, may God kill me and damn me. I don't know Jesus. So heavy. What a great fall. Denials and disassociations with Jesus. You know the invitation of Jesus to us all is deny ourselves. And any time that we refuse to deny ourselves, whether it's an issue of temptation or an issue of forgiveness or an issue of the flesh, whenever we refuse to deny ourselves, we are in effect denying Christ. When God has called us to live His way and we choose to live our way, then those are small and maybe sometimes big denials and disassociations from Jesus. And again, when we don't like the way where Christ's word intersects with our lives in the way we want to live, which was actually going on in Peter's life at this moment, we say, well, that applies to someone else, but perhaps not me. These are small or maybe big denials and disassociations from Jesus. We probably wouldn't say it the way Peter said it, and it almost look, it probably is going to look totally different for us, because we have our own situations and we have our own opportunities where we can either confess Christ or deny Christ. We confess Christ in our following of Him, in our obedience toward Him, in our worship of him in our witness for him or like peter denials or disassociations and really what was happening for peter all the way along was this slippery slide this denial that went back to jesus when he said hey peter i just want to warn you about this and peter basically said nah that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to me. That denial has been this slippery slope, and this is the full expression of it right here. Remember, there is a progression to sin and sorrow. It's a progression that leads to sin and sorrow. And then we have the outcome, and these are details from Luke. It says, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him, and it said, Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I just want us to see very clearly the end result of Peter's choices He went outside and he wept bitterly. This wasn't just any kind of weeping. The Greek word actually says it was a deep, 
gut-wrenching, lamenting, weeping. He was gut-wrenched. He was sobbing. He was lamenting over his sin. Peter's perspective was skewed the entire time as he was sliding downward through his pride, through his prayerlessness, through his following Jesus at a distance. And now he is at the enemy's fire, and he's not seeing things clearly. Peter obviously is not seeing things well when he says, may God kill me and damn me if I'm lying. I don't know Jesus. Peter is way off track here. But then there's this thing, this thing that just actually rattles him back, rattles him up. He hears the rooster crow. He remembers what Jesus had said. He has that moment where he says, what am I doing? And may this be our prayer. May this be my prayer. Please, God, give us those moments more soon in our lives where we are quick to heed to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the warnings of God because he loves us, because he loves you where we are brought to clarity like the prodigal son and we actually say, what am I doing? What am I doing right here? What am I doing right now? God, help us to see our sin more clearly. What am I doing? Peter finally has this what am I doing moment and he goes out And there's nothing for him in that moment at that time but despair. It says he wept bitterly. And I just want us to think again about our own lives. Peter's choices led him to heartbreak. Are there any choices that we are making now? Are there any choices that we've been making in this last week that the end of which is heartbreak? Let's be honest before God this morning. Is there any choices I've been making, the end of which is heartbreak? Jesus said in John 10.10 that Satan came to steal and kill and destroy. That is Satan's number one tactic. That is his number one goal in our lives is to steal, kill, and destroy our relationships, our marriages, our churches. That is his number one tactic. But Jesus came that we might have life and have life more abundantly. And there are two paths in which you can go by. The narrow path that leads to life and the broad path that leads to destruction. Are there any choices Are there any roads that we are traveling that we somehow, with the help of the Holy Spirit right now, know that the end of that road is heartbreak? From these roads, we must change course. We have to learn from Peter. I have to learn from Peter. Now, I want us to zero in on what caused Peter to weep bitterly. According to Luke's gospel, the moment Peter began to call down curses and said, I don't know the man. At this time, the Lord turned 
and he looked straight at Peter. Just as Peter was speaking, Jesus was actually within earshot of his buddy Peter saying, may God kill me and damn me if I'm lying. I don't even know the man. Jesus was within earshot and Jesus turned and he looks at Peter. I can only imagine the look must have penetrated Peter's very soul, burning deep into his heart and conscience, the evil of his sin, seeing his Lord standing there with his hands bound, his face covered with spit and bruises more than Peter could bear. And yet the look was not of anger, but of understanding, not one of condemnation, but one of sympathy. I'd like to suggest as Peter looked into his eyes and met the eyes of Christ, he saw the deepest compassion. He saw endless love. The eyes of Christ said to Peter, I love you. I still love you. I will always love you. And that is what he's saying to you, my dear brothers and sisters, especially those of you who are maybe fallen away or are distant from God. I love you. I still love you. I will always love you. I think that is the deeper source of Peter's heartbreak. I think he wept about a sin in light of the love of Christ for him. That when he saw the eyes of Christ at his lowest moment, at absolute rock bottom, in the depths of unutterable shame, that in light of so great of a love, Peter's heart broke over his sin. This was a hard night for Pete. Pete made some wrong choices. In the hardest of times is when we need to pay the most attention to the choices we are making. This is often when we make the worst ones, and I can testify to that. I have made my worst decisions at times like this. But it is when we are in those most difficult and painful places is when Christ is most present with us. And I can testify to that as well. It's in those deepest, deepest spaces of pain in the valley of trouble is when God opens up the door of hope. There is hope today, my brothers and sisters. There is hope each and every day. There is hope in Christ. The good news to remember is when we are confronted with these slippery temptations, we have been offered better invitations in Christ that lead to better places. And here's the ultimate good news. Peter had said at the beginning, beginning, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter at that moment, he was all talk and no action. But what would Jesus do for Peter? Jesus would go and die for Peter. That's the good news. It's not that we would stick with Jesus or that you and I would die for Jesus. It's that Christ died for us. And that Jesus would say to all of us, 
I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I am with you to the end of the age. The good news is even though we have failed tremendously, Christ has loved us generously. Christ died for us. He has looked us in the eye with his unfathomable love and said, I will never, I will never, I will never leave you. I am with you always. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is not that we could have done better than Peter. We couldn't have. The good news is that Christ has done better than Peter. And Christ has done perfectly for us on our behalf. And so maybe you have fallen or you find yourself far down this road, this slippery slope already. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit has revealed some steps in your own fall. Or maybe he has revealed that you are on this progression to sin and sorrow and heartbreak. I want to end by reminding us of this. Jesus said to Peter, after I have risen from the dead, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Now three days later, after Jesus was crucified, after he rose from the dead, some women went to the tomb and they found an angel there. And the angel said to them, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, go tell his disciples and go tell Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Look at the kindness of God. He sent an angel who said, Listen, go tell the disciples that Jesus is risen and he's going to meet them in Galilee, just like I said. And make sure you tell Pete. That is the kindness of God because Peter is down in the dumps right now because Peter is heartbroken right now. Peter thinks now he's far too gone from the love of God, but you are never too far gone from the love of God. Amen. We are never too far from God's love. And maybe you feel like you are too far gone today. Maybe you feel like you're sliding down the road and the hill is too steep and the slope is too slippery. You are never far too gone beyond the restoring power of Christ. Christ can restore anybody at any time who's willing to say, woe is me, a sinner, have mercy on me. God, I need your help. God, I need your compassion. God, I need your love. Jesus wanted Peter to know through the words of this angel that this great fall was not the end of the story, and it never is. Our great failures are never the end of the story. Christ's great work on our behalf is the end of the story. Amen. Amen. And so Peter went, and I'm sure humbly up to Galilee, and there, when he was fishing, he saw Jesus on the beach sitting there waiting for him with a fire. Peter's in the boat. He's fishing. He actually throws his clothes off. He jumps in the water. He starts swimming to shore. And he went to shore and he sat at the fire with Jesus. The true fire. Jesus is the true fire. He's the living fire. 
He is the fire that we want to draw warmth from and satisfaction and joy and comfort and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a better invitation. And there's a better invitation for us than the road that leads to heartbreak. Christ is calling you to himself. Don't be afraid to repent of your sins. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you, that can ultimately destroy us. Remember, it's God's kindness. It's God's love that leads us to repentance. That times of refreshment, the Bible says, come with repentance. God wants to refresh us and renew us and fill us afresh. Turn to Jesus who heals us, who forgives us, who restores us. Don't continue in your prayerlessness. It's our prayerlessness that gets us in these messes. Call out to God. Cry out to God who waits to have compassion on high toward us, who loves you more than you could even ask or even think or even imagine. He loves you. And so the invitation for us this morning is the three R's from the book of Revelation. Remember. Remember from which you have fallen away from the love of God and from the love and devotion you once had for Jesus. Repent. Repent and turn from your sins, from those worthless things that have no value compared to the love and beauty of Christ. And then return. Return to Jesus and watch what our loving Father will do with the messes we've made or the mess. He'll turn it around for his glory and for your joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I just ask for my brothers and sisters right now, as you've been awaking them to your love, as the Holy Spirit may, has revealed maybe for some that they're on this slippery progression to sin and sorrow and heartbrokenness, Awaken them to your love. Awaken them to your grace. Awaken them to your mercy, O oh God. That you love them. That you are for them. That you'll never forsake them. God, I just pray that you would help us in light of your love, in light of your mercy, to respond to your love right now. God, do it for your glory. You love your sons and daughters. So show yourself faithful right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you guys to come to the communion table and remember and take the bread and remember the broken body of Christ. And as you dip it in, in the juice, that so you remember the blood of Christ, that like Jesus died for you because he loves you. Remember that. The carpets are here for us to repent and reflect and respond to God's kindness that leads to repentance. And the prayer team is on my right and on my left. And it's an opportunity for us to return. If there's any prodigal sons, prodigal daughters, and you're distant, today is the day to return to your loving Father. Get prayer. Maybe you've never received Christ. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Say a simple, real prayer. God, have mercy on me. A sinner, I believe that you, Jesus, died for me. I put my faith and trust in you, God. Forgive me and help me to live for your glory. Come get prayer. Communion, a time to remember. Carpets, a time to repent and reflect. And prayer, a time to return to your loving Heavenly Father. Amen.